Hello ladies and gentlemen, welcome to The Greatest Games on the Blizzard. My name is Marcus Speller, with me of course is Jonathan Wilson, and with us in the pod today is Harry Pearson, journalist and author, specialising in sport, a contributor to When Saturday Comes, among many others, and an author of a number of books, including The Far Corner, A Maisie Dribble Through Northeast Football, and Connie, The Marvellous Life of Leary Constantine, and most recently, The Father Corner, A Sentimental Return to Northeast Football. Harry, welcome to the pod. Good afternoon. Um, now, today, everybody, we go back to the 11th of June, 1998, to the World Cup in France. The opening match of Group B that finished Italy 2, Chile 2. Harry, why have you chosen this game? Well, it was the, the 1998 World Cup. Was the, the I was going to say it was the first tournament that I ever went to. It was actually the, it was the only World Cup I've ever been to. And um, I, I had an Interrail card and I went to see... Um, 16 games in 19 days in eight different cities. Blimey. Um, it was like my it was, it was it was like my gap year, except I was 37. <laughs> <laughs> and it was just the it was just the most fantastic time of my life. Um, you know, watching football every day, hanging around with journalists. You know, going out for great dinners, and mm. it's France in the summer. So you know what's what was not to like about it. So when I looked at the games, I, I I got my accreditation. It was the first time that when Saturday comes, we're ever offered accreditation for a tournament. <laughs> and so I remember them phoning me up and saying, "Would you would you be prepared to go to the World Cup for us?" You know, so I had to mm. sort of think for like two minutes before <laughs> before answering. But because it was when Saturday comes, a monthly magazine, I, we were a bit wary of getting. Because obviously you get the accreditation, where then you've got to get into the games. You've got to get tickets that actually get you into the games, and they're and they're allocated in certain ways. And monthly magazines are fairly low down, so I picked out a lot of fairly obscure games to go to. Um, and if I look through the list, you know, I mean, some of the games I can't remember at all what even happened at them. If you, t- if I, it's news to me, I was at Colombia versus Tunisia in Montpellier, which is just news to me. I only know because I've got it down on a list that I wrote. I have no idea how that game ended. And of the games that I went to, probably the most momentous and probably still the most extraordinary game I've ever been to was the United States against Iran in Lyon. Um, and, you know, but the, that game was amazing for what was going on off the field rather than what was going on on it. And though, you know, I'm sure we'd like to spend 45 minutes discussing geopolitics. Um, I know even less about that than I do about football. It's happened before, Harry. Don't worry. It has. Yeah. <laughs> hang on. Break, breaking news. Um, <laughs> Colombia. Colombia beat Tunisia 1-0 with an 82nd minute goal from Preciado. Did they? A fantastic new... Well, that's good. Um, I'm trying hard now. I can't even picture it. <laughs> so, yeah, so there are lots of other games that I have sort of fond memories of. Um, mm-hmm. I went to Argentina versus Japan, which was Japan's first game in the World Cups, and they were, they were just... They're photographers. In those days, they still had the photo, the photograph booths where the photographers had to bring their film up and have it developed in these photo booths. And the Japanese took so many photos that they literally, you could see them at halftime running towards these Fuji photo booths. They practically knocked them over. They hit them at such speed. So I sort of remember that. And then I was at the South Korea-Mexico game when when Blanco did the bunny hop. Oh, yeah. um, so I remember that. But then Italy versus Chile, that was, of the games, that was actually the best football game with the best players. And also... It was the first time that I ever did a match report for a national newspaper. <laughs> um, having been told, but when I when I was because I worked for the Guardian as well as when Saturday comes, and I was doing some kind of column and colour pieces for them, and so I said I was going to the World Cup, and if they'd like me to do something for them while I was there, so I went to the meeting, the pre World Cup meeting in the offices, 
And Mike Averis, the sports editor, said to me, yeah, it's really great. You know, we'd love to use your stuff, but obviously we won't need you to do any match reports because that's not the sort of thing you do. Obviously, meaning we don't regard you as competent to do that because you're not actually a journalist. Um, and then, so I sort of took this, I thought, oh, great, you know, because I didn't really... And then I was on the train. But the first game I went to was Morocco against Norway in Montpellier. And then I got on the train to Bordeaux from Montpellier, which is a long old hall. And then along the way, on the way, the phone rang. My mobile, my big brick-like mobile phone rang. And it was Mike Averis. And he said, are you on the train to Bordeaux? I said, yeah, yeah, I am, yeah. And he's remember when I said to you about how we wouldn't use you to do match reports? And I went, yeah, not really the kind of stuff I do. And like, yeah, well, forget about that because David Lacey's dropped out. We need you to replace so, Like me replacing David Lacey. It was like if they brought me on to replace Cristiano Ronaldo in the Champions League <laughs> final, isn't it? You know? so, so that was what happened. But he said to me, he said... Um, Actually, it was Paddy Agnew was there. So he said, Paddy, Paddy's there. So he'll do the main report. We need you to do the second report. But he said, Paddy's based in Italy. So he'll cover the Italian team. And we'd like you to write from the angle of the Chileans. Well, back so in those said, days, do you no know anything about, do, you, yeah, yeah. do you know anything about the Chilean team? I, he said, I said, well, I saw highlights of the game at Wembley in February. He went, well, there you are then. <laughs> so that was it. So that was my knowledge was a game that I'd seen 20 minutes of in February. My goodness. Well, I, <laughs> well that was a lovely little uh, memory. You didn't down, that, walk down memory lane from France 98, yeah. But, I, mean, I, I, I think I, there is a sort of more general point there about the shame. I mean, yeah, but this is not a shame. But the, the sort of, there's, there's, there's something has gone from tournaments these days. That mm. in my, my first tournament, uh, or first I, you know, I did the Asian Cup in 2000, did the Cup of Nations in 2002, and then I, I did the Euros in 2004. What I remember about year, year 2004, because Portugal's a relatively small country with relatively good train lines, you could just get up in the morning in Lisbon and decide to go to a game. And you were throwing yeah. yourself slightly at the mercy of, of there being spare accreditations about, but basically you could just go wherever you wanted, and it was great. It's, and everything's too big now. You just can't do that. Well, I think the other thing at that tournament as well was the 98 World Cup was probably the last one. There weren't kind of fan zones or anything like that. So mm. it was still, you know, when you were on the train, there were fans from all over, every different country you could imagine, you know, on the train. So you sat and talked to them. So it was, it was a really kind of... Yeah, you know, it, it was actually strangely, like the of- there was a little bit of that in Russia. Russia was, was mm. oddly the most I've known at a World Cup like that. I guess maybe a bit in Germany in 2006. But I think in Russia, because everybody was getting the train everywhere, there wasn't really another mm. viable way to travel. You could fly, but the train was way cheaper. Russian trains are great. So there was a bit of that in, in Russia. That's, I mean, for some reason, there were Peruvians everywhere in Russia. You could go in a restaurant in any city in <laughs> Russia during the tournament, and there'd be a, a huge clutch of Peruvians there. Um, and that is one of the beauties of the World Cup, was a sense of everybody well, it was one of the mixing. Great things. I think the other thing was in '98 was it was sort of because it was pre Google, so to find out mm. anything, oh, about of course, it, yeah. you had to actually talk to yeah. people. The only way to find out about Chile was to actually talk to some Chilean fans. But unfortunately, the only Chilean fan I found turned out to be a Belgian. <laughs> who didn't know anything about Chile? His only thing he could tell me about Chile was that the capital was Santiago, <laughs> which I actually knew already. Well, they, they had played twice before at World Cups. Fam- they had indeed against Italy for a famous. Game no, no, no. But, I mean, yeah, fam- these two had met uh, previously at World Cups. Firstly, the Battle of Santiago, and yeah. then the Battle of Sunderland. Not there for any recall of that. I was going to say that's why that's that's <laughs> the other reason that I've chosen this game, obviously because the they played at Roker Park, which was yeah. that. the the first World Cup game my dad ever went to. So really, yeah, because yeah. they won that two deal, didn't they? They and did. Then, and that's then, right, but yeah. then things, then the wheels came off. 
Indeed, the yeah, wheels I'm came not... off in Middlesbrough, not for the first now, time. Now I realise why you chose this game as, as opposed to any of the other ones you mentioned, because Jonathan needs his Sunderland mention uh, <laughs> in every podcast. It's stipulated in his contract. But um, but it, but, that's a, but that's a fair point, because you know, this Chile in '98 World Cup was great, and it was just before, as you mentioned, you know, sort of Google and internet, where you could find out a lot more about sort of some of these um, sort of more uh, lesser known or lesser known teams, should I say? So how did you find out about um, well, well, as Chile? I say, I, other I than talking the to bus, the Belgian, I, I got on the bus, talked to the talked to the Belgian man, which was hopeless. <laughs> and I got to the ground, and Simon Cooper was there from the Financial Times, who I knew, knew did sort of know a lot about you know sort of overseas football. So I sort of sidled at him and I said, "Oh, you know the Chilean team." I tried to ask him in a sort of way that he wouldn't realise that I was trying to get information out of him. So I said, oh, "Yeah, the Chilean team. Uh, what do you know? What, what do we know about them?" Sort of thing. And he said. Well, Javier Margas, the centre half, looks like Frankenstein's monster, and then he walked off. So I had two pieces of information I had mm. were that Santiago was the capital, mm. and that Margas looked like Frankenstein's monster, which is not yeah. a lot to work on for six hundred and fifty words. I'd love to read this match report, by the way. <laughs> well, I've got, I've got it here. I've got it here. I can I can photograph, I'll photograph it and send it to you. It, it, when I look through my notes, when I, when I, I was just looking through it because I've got my notebook as well, which I'll. And with all my notes in it from for doing the match report, and one of the notes actually says because I travelled up on the bus to the to the ground, and one of the notes just says, "Why are Italians so good looking?" Surrounded by them on the bus, felt like an ostrich in a Raphael painting. <laughs> so you know that didn't really I don't know that didn't that didn't make it into the match report for oh, some sure. reason. <laughs> presumably, you haven't got to the bottom of that answer either. You know? <laughs> no, no, I haven't. <laughs> Just one of those things that we have to have to go along with. Well, I mean, in in Group B, it was obviously Italy and Chile, and also Austria and, and Cameroon. Chile playing in their first World Cup since 1982. Um, the only time they'd been past the group stages was in 1962, of course, when they they hosted the tournament, finishing third. They'd finished fourth in South American World Cup qualifying in a group, um, and they were behind Colombia, Paraguay, and Argentina. Brazil obviously qualified automatically as champions from the previous World Cup. So we didn't know that much about them, Jonathan, but we did get an insight into how good they were, as as Harry's already said, when they turned up to Wembley in, in February of that year. Yeah, I mean, I think that, that was one of those, the, the handful of friendlies actually mean something, that, mm. uh, particularly the frontier, Salas and Zamorano. And you look through the side, they're the two names that stand out. They were the two class players. Um, but it, they, they really gave England a chase in the two of them that night. Uh, was it 2-0, was it I finished, or 2-1? 2-0. It was 2-0, yeah. And yeah, the, the famous Salas goal, sorry, the famous Salas goal, when he sort of takes the ball on his thigh on the turn, Beauty. volleys it into the edge of the box. It's a magnificent goal. But I, I look back at a couple of match reports from that game, and it's it's genuinely amazing the kind of the, the reaction to, to how well they played. That yeah. Um, there was some slightly odd comparison of Salas to Maradona, which I just don't think they're similar players in, in any way. <laughs> um, but 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 sort of saying kind of it, Chile teaching England a lesson that you know England have sort of got to wake up that yeah they might have had a good Euros two years earlier, but they're way behind the best in the world, and that meaning Chile who'd just come fourth, brackets fifth mm-hmm. in in South American qualifying. So, but I mean, I think essentially they were they were pretty solid with that front too. Um, but that front two was an amazing front two. Yeah, yes. Um, Salas, who, who you know, I mean, arguably, I, I mean, would you say he's Rivers' best ever, bet or best post nineteen ninety striker alongside Crespo, possibly? 
And Zamorano, who got you know seventy seventy seven goals, I think for Real Madrid. In, he got in, he got a load of goals for, for Real Madrid. Yeah, yeah I think certainly. it's over hundred in total and seventy seven in in La Liga. Um, and they just work really well together. Uh, I mean, Zamorano was five ten, Salas five nine, so a medium sized medium sized man combination. But both <laughs> of them had that sort of great sort of explosive power that you know they 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 were both kind of good in the air for their height. They both had a great swing. They both had powerful shots. Um, and you know, Zamorano had you know had, had been at been at Inter as well, uh, where Roy Hodgson didn't fancy him at all, which I find really <laughs> odd. Yeah, I, 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 I don't know about Roy Hodgson. Um, and the two things that, that that came out of that dinner uh, were he hates Parmesan cheese and he just does not rate even Zamorano. <laughs> and we kept asking, we kept saying, kind of, you know, Zamorano, yeah, hundred odd goals for Real Madrid. Couldn't play football. Couldn't play football. Do you mean he couldn't play football? Mm. Well, Roy Hodgson actually pundited on this game. You can he find did, yeah, yeah, he did, yeah, yeah. Sky Sports footage of uh, him and uh, the um... no doubt fuming at Zamorano being unable to play football. <laughs> yeah, well, he's there with I think it's Brian Robson, and they're being interviewed by the Right Honourable Richard Keys, and <laughs> he, um, I think he changes his mind a bit. He, at the start, he was a bit like, oh, I'm not really too sure about one or two, and then he was a bit like, Yeah, they've been absolutely fantastic. And I think Harry, this was almost like a kind of a more modern day friendly. You know, you think about some of the England games. I mean, the, the obvious one is that Hungary and in, in the fifties, you know, they turn up one of them absolutely tonk England. But this is, I suppose, a more sort of, I say modern day. It was in the late nineties, but a more sort of modern day version of that. If you see what I mean, a team turns up, nobody's really ex- got any expectation, and England, you know, going into the World Cup. In, in France under Glenn Hoddle, actually with a bit of expectation and a very good squad of players. And uh, Michael Owen's debut happened in that friendly, of course, against Chile. That was sadly overlooked. But it, but it did have a feel of that, of hang on, this unknown quantity. My goodness, they, they, they're pretty handy. Yeah, I think so. And I think also that England had had that because they lost to Uruguay, didn't they? Did they? Was that before the 1990 World Cup? They seemed to come yeah. up against South American teams quite mm. rarely and then get found out by them. Mm. But I think the thing with Salas was that he... I think he'd been linked with them. He was obviously went to Lazio, but I think he was linked with Man United, and then Alex Ferguson sort of didn't didn't really think, wasn't kind of sure about him. And then in that game, it was like there he just sort of said, "There you go," you know. Because <laughs> Jonathan was saying about the comparison with Maradona, but the the other player that he was compared with, which seems a better comparison, because he was sort of short and chunky, he was an unlikely looking footballer. He was quite podgy with a kind of double. He had a bit of a double chin, and um, the, the most likely person I would have thought was Gert Muller. I mean, that's mm. a flattering comparison because he, he wasn't as great a player as Gert Muller, obviously, who was. But, um, you know, that that was the sort of player he was. He was very dynamic. He was quick, probably over about four or five yards, which is all you need to be fast over in football. And he had that. I think Zamorano was one of those players. I mean, it's interesting that Hodgson says that. You often wonder with people who really know a lot about football what they actually know about football is sort of strange because he was a player, as a fan, every time he got the ball, he thought he was going to do something. He mm. gave that impression to me, you know, that when he got the ball, he thought he was, there was an intent, there was a sort of intention about his play to make something happen. Yeah. Um, you know, so the idea that he, that people would say, oh, he, he wasn't a footballer. I find that quite Yeah, it, it, it just, it sort of frustrated me that night because I was fascinated he should say that, but I couldn't actually pin him down on, on, why he thought that? I mean, I look back. I, th- I think he only scored seven goals in Serie A that that season under Hodgson. Um, but seven but... goals in Serie A is a lot of goals. <laughs> it's not a bad return. Yeah. Um, so I, I, I don't know. 
Um, but I mean, the two of them as a pairing were quite interesting as well, in that Zamorano was from a very impoverished background, being born in Santiago and moved up to the Atacama and sort of grew up in a village in the Atacama, you know, playing you know, barefoot on dusty streets. Whereas Salas was from Temuco, um, south of Santiago, uh, and sort of middle class background. So they sort of brought together north and south, working class and, well, I mean, almost sub working class and, and, mm. uh, and middle class. Yeah. It was nice that it was a, it was a proper strike force. I mean, we'll we'll talk about this in the second half. But both sides had uh, had two forwards who complemented quite um, each other quite nicely. Well, I tell you what, let's have, let's have a break, gentlemen, and then we'll talk about uh, some of the more finer details and, and the match itself. So, back in a moment, everybody. Welcome back to the greatest games on the Blizzard. So, gentlemen, yeah, we get, we get to the to the match itself. Um, the, the vast majority, I think, even now, even with um, the 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 resources that we have at our fingertips, Harry, you know, the vast majority of the Chile squad played in Chile. A number of them playing for Universidad de Chile, Colo Colo, and, and Universidad Católica. So, even if you had the internet back then, it may have been quite difficult to find. Um, just what some of those players were made of, other than other than that um, that England friendly, um, Zamorano of course was was in Serie A as we mentioned playing for Inter and um, Salas was still a slight unknown quantity playing playing for River, um, but the two of them were immediately in this World Cup they they were they were great to watch and they and they complemented each other very very well. Um, would you have a word on on the uh, the, the the manager um, Nelson Acosta's Uruguayan? Yeah, Sorry, I was going to say Uruguay, but naturalised Chilean citizen in in nineteen eighty four. You know, an interesting character. Yeah, he was. Yeah, because I think he'd won. I think he'd won league titles with Penarol as a player. Mm. But then he'd, he'd he'd come over and he'd managed in various. But I think it was it, he'd taken over the Chile national team when he'd only managed one other one club side. Mm. So in a sense, he, he was one of those managers who seemed he probably was best with an international team. You know, there seemed to be some manager to it suits international football. And he was one of them because he was with the Chile team quite a long time. And I think he got them a bronze medal maybe in the Olympics in 2000 as well, didn't he? So he was, he was there for a long time and he did, he did a good job. I think he seemed a sort of solid kind of chap. And of course, he, he, the, the, there was a big contrast on the touchline between him because he was bald and then right. Cesare Maldini who had that very unnaturally dark hair didn't he? Yeah. very very black hair that seemed it didn't really fit with his face he had an old man's face <laughs> and a young man's dark hair and I do remember that it was particularly it was pouring down with rain and I did I kept looking at Maldini thinking at some point there's going to be trickles of black dye <laughs> running into his eyes but it didn't happen so he must have used some good products I think yeah I mean we, we should mention the Italians, uh, Jonathan. We should, yes. <laughs> you, you look at uh, obviously, you know, the, the manager's a big name in football, Cesare Maldini. You look at that side. Oh, it's a preposterous well, side. It's it a... is unbelievable. I mean, it, I've got, well, I've got I've got the team sheet from the game here. Yeah. And you just look down it, and you look down the subs. The subs bench is a really good team, <laughs> you know, because the subs the subs bench they had Bu- uh, Buffon, uh, Bergami. Mm-hmm. Um, Inzaghi and Del Piero on the bench. Yeah. You know, what? <laughs> I know, badness. I mean, they brought on Luigi Di Biagio, Enrico Chiesa, and, and Filippo Inzaghi as well. You know, they. 
every name in that starting eleven is 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 a household name. You know, Paliuka in goal, Maldini, Cannavaro, Costa, and Nesta at the, the back to, to name a few. Um, but Roberto Baggio and Christi, uh, Christian Vieri were up front, Jonathan, and that's a lovely nineties um, kind of front pairing where you have the the more sort of out and out striker and the one who kind of just off him Shearer and Sheringham, of course, with that effort for England as well. Um, and, and Italy were off the back of, of the previous World Cup of having lost in the final with Roberto Baggio missing that crucial penalty. Yeah, but I think actually in, in terms of style, quite a different team. I think Maldini was much mm. more, don't say old-fashioned, uh, but he certainly didn't press in the way that, that Saki had. Mm-hmm. Um, but I mean, it's still a 4-4-2. And you look at the, the, you know, the one thing you criticise on that side is there's all the creativity is Baggio. You know, the two wide players... Um, uh, uh, Demac- Did you not say Albertini? Would add a bit yeah, of but he does it from deep, doesn't he? You know, he's, he's he's not sort of, you know, he he. I'd, I'd say he's sort of neat and tidy with the capacity to play a good through ball rather than being mm-hmm. sort of a creator. There's Delivio, Delivio and uh, Demacio um, out wide, um, so it, they are slightly reliant on Baggio. But then you know, and also you know, Cannavaro at right back, so. You're not going to get much sort of uh, width from the fullbacks coming forward. Maldini on the other side, obviously, um, and it's Maldini's pass that that, that sort of uh, sets up the first goal after 11 minutes. So a long ball, fantastic touch from Baggio, and Vieri yeah. uh, runs on and slots it in. Yeah, I mean at that point, Harry in the game is an early goal from Italy. What were you thinking at the moment? You were. You well, were thinking. Well, well, I thought that you know it seemed set that, that Italy would win, you know, because mm. they looked the, the Chilean team were very poor up until about the fortieth minute, really, when they scored. Up until that point, they mm. hadn't done very much at all. I think I was very excited to see Christian Vieri because I hadn't really seen much mm. of him, and he was sort of talked about as, as he was going to be the sort of new, almost like the new John Charles. But I noticed in my match report, rather than comparing him with John Charles, I compared him with Billy Whitehurst. <laughs> so I mean, I, I, I would, so I would back Billy Whitehurst in a fight. Put it that that's way. That's what I would. I was going to say that. I'd, I'd rather offend Christian Vieri than Billy Whitehurst. Yeah. <laughs> I'm hoping that Billy was complimented by that. Um, but yeah, because he had he had a sort of poor, he had a very poor game. I thought, and you know, Baggio is always an interesting character because the Italians seem to specialise in in these sort of very creative players, but are slightly kind of fragile. Mm-hmm. It struck me that he was part of a kind of tradition of Italian playmakers who, uh, I mean, Sandro Mazzola would be one. I mean, Giancarlo Antonioni would be another. He would kind of replace, I guess, at Fiorentina as the sort of god of Florence football. Um, but he, he always looked like a sort of fragile little boy who he felt a bit sorry for. I always felt like he, he was forced to leave Fiorentina against his will and it was rather like his parents, he went off to Juventus, it was rather like his parents had sent him off to boarding school, <laughs> to prep school when he was young. And he had that sort of sad look about him uh, and a kind of inability, I think. He could never really impose himself on a game, although he was a brilliantly talented player. So his sort of skill was a kind, it was a kind of fragile skill compared to, say, Zamorano. I'd say he was a very dynamic player. Mm. I always felt that with Baggio, that he was always... I always felt a little bit sorry for him, you know. Given the fact that he's a multi-millionaire and a hugely yeah. successful <laughs> footballer, the, the, the sympathy of a middle-aged man in Northumberland, I'm sure this shows a huge value to him. I'm sure he's, he warmly receives it, though, Harry. I'm um, sure he does. But, I mean, yeah, Baggio, the previous World Cup, Jonathan, had had an incredible tournament. I mean, do you think... That I I, I realise that there's there's a lot of uh, ifs and buts here, but had he have scored his penalty and Italy won the shootout, would we talk about Baggio at ninety four 
in a similar way, the way we talk about Maradona in 86, or is that a bit too fanciful? Um, I'm not sure. I think because he, he was one of the great players of the tournament, but as I say, comparing him to Maradona brings mm. me back to the fragility of the way that he played. Mm. Maradona dominated games, and, and Baggio never, could never dominate a game. He, 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 he flitted in and out of games brilliantly, and he did brilliant things, mm-hmm. but you never, you never felt oh, that, was, that was Baggio's game where he dominated. In a way, if you look back at, say, Gianni Rivera, in the, that, that famous European Cup final, Milan against Ajax, Rivera just absolutely runs that game. I mean, he, mm-hmm. he's one of the few players who made Cruyff look ordinary in that game. Uh, you know, but Baggio never seemed to me. He never seemed able to do that. I don't know. Jonathan may say differently. I, mean, I didn't. No, I, I, enough, I, 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 I absolutely agree with that. And, and you know, the odd thing about '94 is that there was a time during well, it would have been after what two group games. When it wasn't at all clear that Baggio was going to keep his place in the team, you know, he and Saki did not see eye to eye at all. He wasn't Saki's type of player, um, yeah, because Saki wanted this dynamism, he wanted this uh, reliability and consistency, and you just didn't get that from Baggio. And so when when they get the red cards against Norway. it's Norway, it's, you know, it's Baggio who gets hooked, and that creates this huge um, drama. I mean. A drama with the Italian press. Who's <laughs> 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 ever seen one of them before? Um, but but yeah, you know, I think I think Saki struggled to. I don't want to say he struggled to accommodate because he was clearly a brilliant player. But there, there was a there was a, a tension there between what Saki was trying to do and what Baggio wanted to do. Mm-hmm. And yeah, you, know, you, you know, it, it's not totally dissimilar to the tension between Bielsa and Riquelme. And, and Bielsa ends up just bending off Riquelme. He's just well, this doesn't work for me. So. And I guess Argentina had far more options, far more creative options than, than Italy did. But I mean, Baggio scores for five goals, was it, in, in the knockouts? Oh, in but, but, yeah, because he, he, he becomes brilliant. And the game against Nigeria, when they're down to 10 yeah. men, where he scores twice, Baggio is, is stunningly good in that game. Mm-hmm. And, and that, I think, sort of nails him on for the rest of the tournament. But I, I, I don't think going into that game, he would necessarily have, have you know, been guaranteed to play every game. Hmm. Well, he wasn't. I, I can't remember. I don't think he was there at Euro '96 for Italy, and they had a, a poor tournament. But there he was, back in the starting eleven at, at, at France '98, and just before half time, uh, Chile equalised against Italy. Uh, and as you said, Harry, they hadn't really done much up until that point. No, they they hadn't done much at all. And then and and Zamorano and um, and Salas had done very little. And Zamorano, in fact, again, it, it seemed to have spent most of the game. Sort of diving, looking for free kicks around the edge of the penalty. I really did nothing at all, but but he got the down. I think it was his downward header. I haven't actually literally. I thought before I did this podcast, I should watch the game because I've never seen it. And then I thought, no, I'm not going to watch it. I'm going to go from my notes and stuff like that because it's that sort of sad thing of of seeing something live and the way that you remember it, and then you watch it on YouTube. And it sort of it kind of distracts from it because it's not quite as you remember. Yeah. But what I remember is that Zamorano headed, got a downward header, That's and right, Salas yeah. just he, he hit the ball into the net with such with this kind of incredible nonchalance, like you know, like a sort of like the way you would hit the the head off a thistle with a walking stick you know he just planted it into the goal with just like oh that's going in the net and sometimes you see strikers who are really on form I remember Ian Rush was like that when he was at Liverpool before he went to Juventus where he just when he hit the ball he just knew it was going in he could turn away from it and walk off celebrating in the certainty it was in the net and that's what Salas did and it it turned the game completely it was almost like 
the way that he the way that he scored just seemed to inspire the Chilean team. And of course, they came out after half time, which I'd spent feverishly trying to get my get my notes in order, um, and scored me almost immediately afterwards again through Salas. You know, another really good goal. And after that, they completely dominated the game. They had a guy. I mean, I just quickly look at my notes now. They had a they had a player who I think played in Mexico. Uh, Fabian Este, who was a mm. sort of curly-haired midfielder, who absolutely yeah. ran the game. They had a, a guy who was, a, I think he was a right-back called Rocker. Yes, Francisco Rocker, yeah. And he, he was mm. a sort of attacking left-back who scurried along with his kind of elbows sticking out in a kind of old, <laughs> remember, sort of in the, like an old Scottish winger of the sort of Ted McMinn mould. I have to compare everything to 19, 1970s and 80s British footballs. But he, and he, he was running down the wing all the time and they were creating chance after chance and the Italians looked completely flattened, mm. you know. And then you thought, oh, you know, this is, this is set up for Ch- a Chilean win. And, yeah. you know, a complete disaster because Italy would have gone into that tournament as one of the favourites, I'm sure, as you say, with the team that they had. I mean, yeah, I mean, and that goal is a, it is a stunning goal. I mean, I think it's what Salas was great at. It, it's the, the, the right wing back, uh, Bish Noel, uh, puts in the cross and he, he gets above Cannavaro. I mean, I guess the Italy defence has been dragged across. He makes a that's quick. the Gert Muller comparison that I make because that jump, that yeah, that yeah, yeah, I know, I see it there. Just, completely, you know, yeah. extraordinary, yeah. you know, for a short guy. <laughs> I know Cannavaro wasn't very tall, but still, you know, he's Cannavaro. It's yeah, and he, he would have been taller than Salas. I yeah. mean, Salas 5'9", I guess Cannavaro 5'10", 5'11", maybe? Yeah, but, yeah. I mean, they're but, similar height, but still, and like, he, you can't take away And he league. absolutely bullets that in the top corner. It's a fantastic mm. header. Mm-hmm. Do you think, I mean, th- th- those two goals for me, watching that game, Jonathan, it was almost like Chile put themselves on the map, the footballing map. Now, I know they'd obviously, one would say, well, come on, 1962, the host of the tournament, so on. But in the kind of modern era... No, I think I think that's completely fair. I mean, I I, I think... Um, I mean, there is a danger always these podcasts that I just ended up talking about Bielsa. However, <laughs> in this instance, I think it is justified that um, what Bielsa did for them, even though they, they still didn't win a tournament under Bielsa, he gave them an identity. And I think the fact they had a, a naturalised Uruguayan as coach, I mean, he, he married a Chilean. It, it wasn't sort of some flag of convenience. You know, he, he had moved to Santiago. He was living there. It was an entirely sort of natural naturalisation. It was a, 1984 he got his citizenship yeah, yeah, yeah. in Chile. Yeah. Uh, but still, he's, he's, he's grown up in Uruguay. His footballing education is Uruguayan. But there's no sort of Chilean school of football. And I think there's this sort of... Mm. What what Chileans talk about is that Bielsa gave them this 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 identity and this self belief, and that um, I, I think the the last sort of ten minutes of this game when you know the two one up and as Harry says dominant, and then even more so when they go into the second round they play Brazil and get hammered four one. That, that was a really disappointing game, you know. You know, talk, move, leaping ahead because I was actually at that game at Parc de Prince, although I couldn't get in because I couldn't get a ticket because of blah, blah, blah. But I watched it, you know, and I remember thinking that Chile had a really good chance of beating Brazil because I'd seen Brazil and they were pretty ordinary, really. And they had Junior Bayano at centre-half. You think, if you can score a goal against Nestor and Cannavaro, you can get, you know, you can at least get four with Junior Bayano against you. Yeah, surely. and say the Sampaio ends up scoring twice. And, and it was very similar to the game against Brazil in 2010. 14. Oh, well, I mean, they've sorry. played in 14 as well, but sorry, 2010, yeah, where, the, where they sort of capitulate. Yes, and yes. I think there was this sort of lack of self-belief. Um, and, you know, you go, I mean, I was in I was in Chile for the Copa America in 2015. And I, you know, I'm sure I've told you this story before. 
But they, they are still obsessed by Bielsa. Or they were in 2015. I'm sure it hasn't gone away. You don't get unobsessed by Bielsa. Trust me. Um, and I, I lost my passport. And I had to go and get a, replace, a temporary replacement from the British Embassy. So you yeah, go in, go through all the bureaucracy. And they said, like, you're going to have to get two two photographs done. So I'm like, okay, where, where's the nearest place? And I said, well, if you go out the door, turn right. 100 yards down the right-hand side, there's a, there's a shop there that does, does passport photos. Just tell them you're from the British Embassy and they'll, they'll do the right ones for you. So I go in the shop explaining my terrible Spanish what I need and I get taken into the back room where they do the photos and I, I, I go in and I'm still not really looking up and it's it's dark we haven't turned the lights on I, I sit on this stool and as the lights come on I realise that the three walls facing me are all passport sized photos of Marcelo Bielsa <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's like it's like being in being John Malkovich yeah. and, <laughs> except with Bielsa and I said so, so about what, what, what's this about? Well, Bielsa always came here for his, for his visa photos and his passport photos. So I just thought I'd paper the walls for him because he was a man who made us believe in football. Amazing. Yeah. And, and I, I think you really see the last time it's this game, this is before they have belief, when they have this sort of inferiority that they, they don't believe that they can go out and beat big sides. And and then, you know, of course, it's, it's not till... Well, 2015 is, is, is where they, they win a tournament for the first time. Um under Sam Bowley, who, you know, Bielsa disciple. Uh, 99 years after they played their first tournament, they, they finally win one. But yeah, that, 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 that sort of, that lack of belief, I think you see in the last five, ten minutes here as they let Italy come back at them, having had the game in their grasp. Well, they, they took off, the, one of the players that I mentioned there, a stay was taken off for about three minutes before, the, you know, in about the 82nd minute, they made two substitutions in midfield because they went, they suddenly decided they would go more defensive. Which is always just like why, why, you know, why do that? You're doing so well, you know. And then, of course, in the 85th minute, there's this ball to hand, handball. Is it handball incident? It's a very modern wins. handball, isn't it? It is. It's a very yeah. modern handball, and it, I, I know that after the game, that the, 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 the referee was a Nigerian called Lucien Bouchardot, and after the game, he was actually from Niger, not Nigeria. Niger, sorry, Niger. Yeah. You're right. Yes, I'm quite right. Yes, sorry, I've written that down wrong in my notes just as well. I didn't mention him in my match report. Like <laughs> from Belgium, tell you he's from Nigeria. That's exactly. <laughs> uh, but after afterwards, he told some journalists that he was worried that the decision was going to get him the sack and end his end his oh. international career. So he obviously knew himself mm-hmm. that it was a slightly kind of borderline decision i have no idea as i say i haven't watched it again i saw it happen and thought and you were like well it didn't it seemed much of muchness i don't know well the, the strange thing is that at the time i remember being outraged by it and obviously i hadn't seen it in 22 years so, so mm. i watched it again and now i'm actually not that bothered by it i think it probably was a handball yeah but yeah if it, if it, that maybe just shows how our perceptions of what is handball changed but essentially fuentes has got his, his hands down by his sides as you would normally have just sort of being balanced, jockeying Baggio on the edge of the box. And Baggio very clearly deliberately lifts the ball into the hand. Yeah. Um, yeah well, but I, I, I think the hand I'll, is that... far enough away from the body that it is just about justifiable to give a penalty. It's a, it's a very fortunate penalty. Let's be, I, but it's I, just, I, it's I, just uh, I think my, my, my outrage was the cynicism of it. That Okay, you've got to be as skillful as Baggio to be able to do it. But that's not what the handball law is there for. It's not. It's not the handball law is not there for talented players to be able to kick the ball into somebody's hand, and that's the penalty. That's that's not what it's about. Yeah, which is pretty much what happens, though, of course. But it was it was a bit of a get out of jail free card for Italy because they they weren't creating too much, uh, and uh, and they got sort of that the the late penalty and they and they got a point. I mean, when Baggio steps up, Harry. Well, well, that's the great thing, and and in a way, that's why I picked this game as well yeah. because. Some often now where I live, most of the people that I'm 
I know don't, are not interested in sport and are actually like a lot of sort of, I would say like left wing arty people of a, of a certain of my generation, they mm. actually abhor football and hate it. <laughs> and so you know, if you sit next to people, they'll say, "What do you do?" And I say, "Well, you know, I write about well, I write about what do you write about? I write about football. Well, what can you possibly find to write about that? It's just you know, twenty two <laughs> sweaty men and blah blah blah." And often I will tell this. They say, "Well, tell me something about football that's that would that, that's interesting." And I, and I tell them about this game, and I say. You know, Roberto Baggio, he'd missed the penalty. The last penalty that he took was in the World Cup. It was a decisive penalty in the World Cup final. He he blasted it over the bar. He cost his country the World Cup. And here he was now, you know, with the penalty. And the, and the ground, it was a fantastic ground. That's the other another reason to pick it was the Bordeaux Parc La Scure. Mm. It's a really fantastic old art deco ground. It's a proper football ground. Held about 32,000 people. It's in the pouring rain. Baggio put the ball down. And then he walks back and then he looks at the ball and he looks at the goal and he looks back at the ball. And the whole gr- ground is just absolutely silent. And you realise, because you're in the, tr- the press tribune with like 500 reporters from all over the world, you realise that all over the world at that moment, people are watching on TV in, you know, Brunei and, you know, Bhutan and Nepal and all across the world. People are sitting silently craning forward to find out what happens. And Baggio looks at the ball. He looks at the keeper. He looks back at the ball. The referee blows his whistle. And then I will stop. And the person who's sitting next to me says, and what happened? You go, well, football's boring. You're not interested. In <laughs> and of course, you know, well, we know what happened that Baggio scored. And so that was a fantastic thing because if Baggio misses, the whole, you know, the, the goal is becomes the story of the game. And he he nearly did miss as well. I mean, keeper got a bit of a hand. Taffia got a decent hand on it. Yeah, I mean, Taffia was clearly annoyed he hadn't kept it out because he starts punching the ground. Yeah, yeah. Do you you not think it was one of those moments though where where most neutrals who were probably supporting Chile because of the way the game went, you think, oh my goodness, we've sort of discovered uh, this new side. It would be quite a cold-hearted person to have wanted Baggio to miss that kick. Do you think? Well, I wanted him to miss it. Yeah, and you <laughs> just sort of proved my point, I think, really. No, but I, look, I, know, I know what you mean, that the redemption narrative is is appealing, and, and um, yeah, I wouldn't wish on anybody the sort of reaction he probably would have got had he missed. But on the other hand, I didn't like the way he won the penalty, so hmm. um, there's, there's competing karmas there. Yeah, well, which he very much believes in, because I believe he's a Buddhist. Well, yeah, quite right. Yeah, yeah. He is, yeah, yeah, yeah. quite right. Yeah, very good. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I, I have to say, one one thing that um, I may contest uh, with your uh, memory of the game, Harry, but of course you haven't watched this, is is for my money, I don't think it was raining when I look back at Wasn't the, it? Uh, oh, the my, highlights. Oh, my, yeah, my, 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 my actual match report says it as a day of ra- a day of heavy rain. That's what okay. I, well, I, maybe maybe the, the the cameras don't pick up on it. it looks like it could be one of those. Well, ones I remember about it. I remember that it was so rainy. That where we were sitting in the press, that the the stand didn't cover it, and so they gave us these kind of capes that covered mm. your laptop, not uh, that would cover your laptop, uh-huh. so you could type underneath this rain cape. And I was sitting near Brian Glanville, and <laughs> Brian Glanville spent most of the first half. He'd found out that the <laughs> that the linesman was from Tunisia, and he was trying to compose an obscene limerick that began, "There was a young man from Tunisia." But I don't know how far he got with it. Anyway, so I probably do remember it was raining know. heavily. I can tell you that. It was... oh, well, do you know what your 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 memories from France? Yeah, having not watched it, are better than mine. And I watched it just this morning. You know, so you, I have you, to you say can... I, I didn't notice the rain on the video, but <laughs> this this feels like um, 
Uh, what's it called? The, uh, yeah. the Tarkovsky film, It Rains Inside. That's yeah. it. It's just raining in my heart. Solaris, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's when you start talking about uh, an Italian winning goal in the last minute, I think to myself, hang on a minute. Here. <laughs> There's obviously some discrepancy here. Well, the, I mean, yeah, so the, the game ends 2-2, Harry, and then and then, what are your your thoughts about these two sides and their uh, expectations and going further into the tournament? Well, well my feeling was that I, I thought that Chile were a really good side who that had a good chance of going further. I mean, obviously Italy did get to the quarterfinal, lost to France, but as Jonathan was saying, we were talking about earlier. You know, when when they played Brazil, I thought they had a really good chance against Brazil if they attacked them. But they were they just came out like they were they were just sort of damage limitation. And I was you know, it was really, really disappointing to see that. They didn't really ever have a go. Um but you know, as, as Jonathan said earlier, you know, maybe that was just a sort of that was just a lack of confidence and maybe a feeling Brazil always had this, you know, this kind of aura that intimidated other teams. I think less so nowadays, but you know. Yeah, I mean Jonathan, Chile went through, they had three points and they finished second, they drew all their games. Do you think I mean yeah, I suppose football and well life itself has many sliding doors moments of course but had they have beaten Italy that would have been a huge scalp you know the the, the, the team that finished in the final four years earlier they've got a, you know a great starting lineup as, as we mentioned and a great substitute uh, bench as well do, do you think maybe that, that actually you know not winning that game it, 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 they, they still hadn't got that big you know a, a big result against the big side in the major tournament yeah i mean I, I i think when they beat uh spain um in their it was their opening game wasn't it in in 2014 i think that was a huge moment because that was yeah. i mean they, they they had they had looked really good in, in 2010 as well i suppose but yeah beating spain beating the um the def- i know it must have been their second game they beat australia and they beat spain mm-hmm. uh but but that that was sort of this seismic moment of they, they put spain out and they had beaten the defending world champions, and I think that was that was sort of a culmination of the process that Bielsa began of, of of making Chile believe in itself. Whether that would have happened earlier if they'd they'd won this game, uh, because I think they were, I think yeah, they were they were definitely annoyingly cautious against Brazil. I think they're a bit cautious against Austria and Cameroon as well. When you when you, when you look at the strength of that, that side, which is you know the the playmaker Estai and then the, the the two centre forwards, to to sort of to, to essentially be reactive against Austria and Cameroon maybe wasn't 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 getting the best out of the results they had. So yeah, maybe if they had held on, it would have it would have all been different. I mean, they they would have ended up they would have had five points. Italy would still have had six, but maybe they would have beaten Austria or Cameroon. Then then they would have they've had four points. Sorry, because it was two points for a win. Um. Uh, no, it was three points to win, so they would have had five points. Mm-hmm. But maybe they'd have got a win against Austria Cameroon, and then they'd have been top of the group, and they wouldn't have been playing Brazil in the last sixteen. So, mm-hmm. well, it took a while, as you say, to get that sort of monkey off their back and, and not be so intimidating. Because I remember in two thousand and fourteen when they were mightily close to beating Brazil, Harry it was just shot off the crossbar in, yeah. in uh, you know extra time and all this, uh, and and they eventually lost on penalties, of course. And uh, people were saying that. Some Chilean fans. There was a I forget who it was who said that they were just he was in the same hotel as him, one of the journalists, 
and Chilean, Chilean fans walking around the hotel, just going, oh, so close, so close. Mm. And you can see that progression, can't you? And then, of course, 2015 Copper America, they, they win it and they win it again the next year, beating Argentina twice in the final. And at the moment, really, I mean, okay, aside like Chile, a small population, the, the quality in their squad will kind of fluctuate up and down a little bit more than perhaps bigger nations. But they seem to be not really scared of anybody these days in, in football. No, well, that's right. And I, what's been interesting to me is that that's after this, one of my best friends now is a, who lives in lives in Hexham, where I live, who's, who is Chilean. So, you know, so I sort of followed the fortunes of their team. And I do remember this game, as I say, you know, with great affection. And it's funny, with, with certain games that you're at, you form a bond with one of the teams. And I would feel that with Chile, even if I didn't know Enrique, my friend, I would feel a similar thing. I would always hope that they would do well. Mm-hmm. Because because the experience of that game, I think you know that that was sort of something that stuck with me. Particularly, I like Salas and Zamorano, um, yeah. but you know, it's it, it was it, there was something about them at that World Cup that I liked. Yeah, I liked it, mm-hmm. um, and their fans as well would you know sort of seem good. And I, I say I feel the same way about Mexico as well from that tournament. So oh, there Sorry, carry on, Harry. No, no, that's what I sort of take from that game as well. You know, as a sort of lasting sort of uh, sort of liking for Chile, I guess. Well, and of course, uh, George Robledo, a uh, very important player in uh, the history of northeast football as well. From That's right. Well, I, I, that was in my notes, indeed, was saying on a day of rain <laughs> that they would have recognised from their time, the Robledo brothers would have recognised. <laughs> that I didn't use that in my match report. I thought I had enough with Billy Whitehurst. I thought that was probably enough. <laughs> yeah, they're a very likeable side, uh, Chile, aren't they, Jonathan? Yeah, and it's, uh, I, I've... Uh, I've had a great time in 2015. I went back <laughs> last year. Uh, my, you know, my last holiday before lockdown and all that nonsense. Um, I mean, it's got a horrific government, but it's a it's a wonderful country and a wonderful football team. One of the disturbing things that my friend told me was that Javier Margas, the uh, the Frankenstein-like centre-half who ended up at West Ham, that, that recently, I, he, I said something to him about him and he said, oh, that bastard. And I said, why? And he said, well, don't you know, he uh, at an auction, he bought Pinochet's armoured car. <laughs> So, oh, he, so, so he can now drive around in General Pinochet's car, which my friend was completely unimpressed by. Anyway, yeah. Well, I think, what, what a note to finish on, Harry. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> well, Harry, it's been a pleasure. Uh, I mean, France '98 is a tournament I remember very, very affectionately, and I'm sure many others do. And this game in particular, where, where um, I think you know Chile did put themselves on the on the footballing map in the modern era. Um, so thank you very much indeed for for, for joining uh, us. Uh, to, dis- to discuss that one um, for more stories like this everybody do check out theblizzard.co.uk um, and uh, yeah marvellous stuff so Harry thank you very much indeed oh, it's been a pleasure thank you for listening to me <laughs> thank you Jonathan as always cheers thank you thank you everybody we'll see you next week thank you